Joining me on Thought Session is Mr. Olivier Commanda, who is currently a product manager at Facebook. He's a graduate of Pennsylvania Law School and Princeton University. Having a strong passion for public service, Mr. Commanda has also served as speechwriter for Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton. He was also selected as a White House Presidential Innovation Fellow, where he launched Code.gov the nation's platform for improving government software. Earlier in his career, he founded a civic tech company called Ideal Impact and practiced law at White and Case in DC. Mr. Commanda is a Halcyon Incubator Fellow, a Truman Project Fellow, and a French American Foundation Young Leader. He currently serves as a member of the Board of Directors at the Equal Rights Center in DC, and the Landon School in Bethesda, Maryland. One of his current projects, in conjunction with proudandblack.com, provides a digital seal for Black-owned businesses to display on their websites to reflect their commitment to serving the Black community. Mr. Commander, welcome to Thought Session. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having me. Excited to have this conversation. I appreciate you taking a few minutes in the middle of the pandemic to stop by and talk with us, man. I hope everything's Where am I going to go? Okay. <laughs> well, there's that, right? Uh, I, I totally get it, man. It's, it's definitely making us look at that question a little differently, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And not only where am I going to go, but what am I going to do with this time? And it seems exactly. like you've been a little busy, but right off the bat, I, I'd love to know um, a little bit about your background. Where are you from originally? So... I grew up uh, in Chevy Chase, Maryland, right outside of D.C. And I basically spent the majority of my life, apart from college and law school, in that area until very recently. Um, And I think one of the elements of growing up in the D.C. area is that the social, civic, political uh, context is just in your blood. Um, there's really no escaping it when you're in the capital of the, uh, of the country. And so I think the nature of who's growing up there exposed me to a lot of what was going on domestically and also internationally. And, you know, being a teenager, you are certainly more prone to thinking about different approaches to things and how the current power structure may not be the right approach. And so I think it was a great time for me to start questioning a lot of, uh, just typical assumptions about how things are done in a place where, you know, a lot of the decisions, legal, political, social, uh, emanate from. So it was, uh, uh, I think a great place to be a young person and to soak up that civic energy. And I love sharing your resume with our listeners, um, because not only does it help to frame the dialogue, but it also provides our youth with a, a great glimpse of experiences that they can add to their futures as well. I appreciate that. And, you know, it, I would not certainly have gotten where I am if it wouldn't be for all of the sacrifices that my mother made. And so all of this is credit to moms because uh, 
so she had the vision and I think kept me disciplined when there are times when I certainly would be less disciplined. So uh, we got to give credit where credit is due. Hey, well, shout out to moms, man. Uh, <laughs> they make the sacrifices that we, we, we don't fully understand until later in life, but, but they're definitely worth it, man. So your background features two of the most influential organizations on the planet, Facebook, as well as the White House, uh, <laughs> product manager at Facebook. What, what responsibilities come with that role? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the, the role of the product manager uh, is essentially to represent the business goals, strategic goals, and customer goals in the product, which is basically the, the way that the business interacts with the customer. And so what that means is, you know, Facebook obviously is first and foremost a software company. And so we build products that touch almost 3 billion users a day. And the product manager is responsible for setting the vision for those products, making sure that they align with, with the vision for the organization or the team, identifying the roadmap, scheduling the work, removing blockers from the engineers, and essentially doing all the unstated work that engineers and designers and others with more narrowly scoped job descriptions need to get done in order to ship a product um, to our users. Uh, and so it's, it requires uh, quite a bit of people management and also a technical appreciation for how products are built because a lot of the role, a lot of the work that product managers do is essentially design what that product should look like, whether it's Instagram or WhatsApp or Oculus or your newsfeed or any of the hundreds of Facebook products that are out there. Uh, and so the product that I work on right now essentially is uh, a tool that allows people to share their content that they store on Facebook, whether it's photos or videos uh, with other services. And so, for example, if you uh, have been on Facebook for a while, chances are you've got a ton of photos that you've taken and posted and tagged people in. And up until now, there hasn't been a, an easy way for you to transfer that information to other services, whether it's Google Photos or any other storage platform. And so we're building out a tool to allow you to share more of your Facebook content with other platforms uh, with a goal of trying to stimulate more innovation, more ecosystem development, so that other entrepreneurs can take advantage of the fact that this information is no longer held within Facebook, but now accessible on other platforms. And, and I think that's great because you know we're starting to see more and more of those connection points between different services so that people can get their brand as widely distributed as possible. And I understand that you know, this is not a Facebook episode or we're not asking you to speak on behalf of Facebook or anything like that. But Facebook itself is such a, a mainstream part of our daily ecosystem, right? So it's, it's just one of those platforms that we interact with every day. Um, I even was able to connect with you out on Facebook Indeed, and, yes. and things like that. So it's one of those tools that people use and leverage all the time. But what I wanted to point out was the fact that, hey, you know, not only is Facebook just part of our social media 
portfolio. There are people in our community that are actually behind some of the innovation that's going into this platform. You can do it too, you know, Indeed. speaking Indeed. to that person who's graduating or headed off to college, you know, these are some roles that you could potentially play with the tools and applications that you use in your daily life. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, we have a, a small but strong community of black product managers and uh, black employees at Facebook. And I think I, I'm not um, uh, divulging any secrets when I say I think the company can afford to hire many more black product managers, engineers, designers, and so forth. So uh, we really do want to strengthen that pipeline. I would love to see more folks who look like me uh, helping to shape the future of these products that touch, you know, half the planet uh, in any given month. And um, this is where you really do have the opportunity to take an idea, to take a concept, to take a product and um, make sure that it speaks to people in a meaningful way. And so having black voices, having more diverse voices makes the products better. Um, and that ends up serving the community broadly uh, as well. So I encourage everyone who is thinking about whether it's working in tech or in business to submit the application, do whatever the intimidating first step is and realize that you know it's, it's certainly not uh, a straightforward approach, but many folks have done it, I've done it, and, and if you're committed to it, uh, to making it happen, you know, you'll find some folks along the way to support you. That's awesome. For every platform, there's content. And speaking of content, you, you have to share with us, uh, what was it like being a speechwriter for a secretary of state, right? Uh, it was, Hillary, Clinton. yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild ride to say the least. I, I was, I guess, take a step back. I was in my last year of law school. I think this was the 2008 campaign. So Obama had not yet won. But around that time, I, I was working on the campaign, but I also had started a foreign policy digest, really just to try to explain international affairs to folks who didn't necessarily have a background in it. And so I had gotten in the habit every month of publishing stories with a team of writers and editors that essentially try to explain things like, why does a consumer rights campaign in China matter to me? What's going on in Iraq? And why should that matter to me as a voter? And really take stock of some of the bigger questions that were underlying a lot of news stories and break them down to uh, digestible, for lack of a better term, uh, concepts and stories that most people can understand. And after having you know, done that for a couple of years, uh, someone apparently had shared uh, our, our mag online magazine with the secretary's speechwriting team or the director of speechwriting. And so over a couple it's probably a month or two before my final exams in law school. I got an, an email from the director of speechwriting asking if I would be interested in joining the secretary. And of course, within probably a minute, it was probably the fastest uh, email response ever. I said, of course, <laughs> we'd love, love to do it. And she said, great. And I then spent the next two months drafting mock speeches, getting them reviewed, getting feedback and really testing my mettle as a speechwriter because I hadn't formally written speeches before. But through that process, I ended up getting selected. And I graduated law school, moved down, back down to D.C., and spent probably three months studying for the bar. And then the day I took 
day after I took the bar exam was my first day speech writing for the secretary. So it, it was essentially just a whirlwind because one, she was secretary of state. Two, she was this incredibly popular political figure. Three, she was obviously a, a, a um, connected uh, celebrity who had folks, whether they're political or otherwise, who were constantly asking her to speak at events. And so we had, on um, any given day, three different types of calendars we were managing at, at the same time. Uh, and so it always made things interesting, even though the bulk of the work was uh, articulating the the country's foreign policy uh, priorities. Every once in a while, there'd be a request to speak to a group that was perhaps more domestically focused, internationally focused. And so we did, I remember we wrote a speech for an, an adoption campaign and supporting women-owned businesses. And a lot of things that at first blush would not necessarily seem directly related to foreign policy. But what you realize is a lot of what America has to offer, um, apart from its diplomacy efforts or its military, is the idea that is America. And what that means is we sell the world on democracy and free speech and rule of law by exemplifying it at home. And so to the extent that the secretary or any principal uh, in the US government or otherwise can talk about all the things that we take pride in that we do well here, um, that speaks volumes when we share that abroad. It, it makes us more credible when we champion the rights that we're articulating overseas. And so it was a great opportunity to write on uh, a broad range of topics and I think to really focus on the act of communication, sort of thinking about how people communicate first written, uh, through written communication, verbally and otherwise, and also thinking about how people listen you know we have two small kids and when we read to our four-year-old he if there's a word he doesn't understand he'll stop us and say well, daddy what does that mean or if there's a picture that he wants to take more time to look at he'll stop me and he'll flip back and say i want to look at this picture i want to see this and that's the sort of the nature and benefit of reading a book uh, because you can go back to the stuff you don't understand. But when you're communicating orally, whether it's a speech or a podcast like this, uh, podcast is a little bit of a different animal because you can't go back. Um, but people don't have the opportunity to say, hey, Secretary Clinton, can you go back to something you said you know, 30 seconds ago or a minute ago? I didn't quite understand that concept. And so it forces you as a speech writer to be particularly thoughtful about how you use words, how you... Uh, make arguments um, and explain concepts in a way that is sort of rhetorically significant, but also um, accessible because people can't ask you to go back and repeat what you said. Uh, and so it, it, it has made me a much um, certainly slower and more thoughtful writer, hopefully a better writer. Uh, and I think those skills translate apart from just speech writing, but also I think to my current role as a product manager, um, understanding what you're trying to communicate and how you're trying to communicate it and also how it's being received is incredibly important when you're designing products for people. What's a valuable lesson that you learned 
from your time with the White House that you would offer as advice for someone going into the field? <laughs> yeah, but with, it's a very different animal. Um, probably the most valuable skill to have, whether you're working at the White House or any federal agency and you're trying to, whether it's move policy or legislation or start an initiative, is patience in that by definition, a lot of these agencies, for example, the State Department, they have bureaucracies that are designed to prevent the organization from being co-opted from any one faction or moving too quickly in one direction. When we were building code.gov, um, we really had to get 26 different federal agencies uh, on board with saying they would share their source code. And the, the biggest objection that a lot of agencies had was that they believe that sharing that source code would make them more vulnerable to hackers. Uh, and we heard this concern over and over again. And so we had to address that head on 26 different times, if not 52 different times, um, and knew that that was just the price of moving this agenda forward and getting this work done, um, is making sure that folks understood that you know, sharing source code doesn't reveal vulnerabilities and that there are way more people who are willing to sign up and you know fix bugs when they see them in the code then there are folks who are going to take advantage of them so the you know the takeaway was more about just the process of getting things done than it was any uh, sort of technical revelation but you know i also i think that kind of carries forward to everything else that you do that that is worth doing sometimes you have to uh, fight the battle multiple times to win the war is, is the way I've heard described. Speaking of things that are worth doing, tell us about the Proud and Black.com initiative and what inspired you to undertake this project. Yes, yeah, so the, the Proud, Proud and Black business campaign was actually started by me and my two co-founders, Karen Givens and John Ogolo. And I know both of them from my time in DC, both incredibly smart and brilliant and successful black entrepreneurs. And, you know, the process of building something from scratch, whether it's this campaign or starting a business or what have you, is just incredibly daunting in that when you, when you talk about an idea, we all believe that when we hear our friends' ideas that we're affirmative, that we, that we sound positive, that we um, are encouraging of ideas, uh, even the ones that we're skeptical of. Um, but the reality is that something about us, just our human nature, is just inherently risk-averse. And so when your buddy says, hey, I've got an idea for an app that will let people uh, create profiles and see what friends they have in common. More often than not, like your friends and family who may not understand the full vision, you may not understand the full vision, um, can be a bit more critical than you expect. And I think, you know, part of being an entrepreneur is walking in a room full of red chairs and convincing people that the chairs are blue. It, it just, it just at times can be incredibly daunting. But, but what you realized going through that process over and over again is that you develop a sense of confidence when you articulate why the thing that you're trying to build is important. And that 
ends up helping you get through all those early no's, whether it's fundraising, which is a huge issue for uh, Black entrepreneurs and Black businesses, or getting business partners, landing your first uh, client, all the different steps that it takes to, to turn something from an idea into a product that's viable. You, you just sort of need to will yourself forward. And what we realized having among the three of us, we worked before on other projects, what we realized going forward is that, you know, the one thing that we could do to help uh, other black entrepreneurs and founders um, and, and black professionals in general um, is to give them an opportunity to say, hey, I'm a black business. Um, I am uh, providing value to my community or to my customers. And if there are allies and others who want to support black businesses, given the fact that Futures has shown that up to 40% of black businesses this year might, or might close uh, by the end of the year, just, just as a function of um, the impact of coronavirus and the historic lack of access to capital, um, then we should take advantage of that fact, right? And we should create uh, not just our network, but multiple networks to support each other, whether it's uh, sharing advice, sharing connections, whether it's access to lawyers or access to capital or even access to folks who can help us design and build our websites. Um, that kind of mutual support uh, certainly helps in those early days when you're trying to build something from scratch and get off the ground. And so that essentially is the idea behind the Proud and Black Business Campaign is, is one, to establish um, a way for others to, to recognize black businesses. And then the second piece is actually to provide a way for us to support them and support each other uh, by creating a network and a community. And, um, you know, I'll tell you this, there, we know that there are other folks who are trying to support black businesses and entrepreneurs, and there are... Uh, black investors um, uh, and allies who I think are realizing that now is a really good time to start investing in black businesses. And um, we would love to work with them all. We, we welcome that energy. We welcome that drive and that focus. And we want to be part of the solution uh, and support as many uh, entrepreneurs of color as we can. Uh, and so that is why we started the proud and black business campaign. And so I encourage anyone who's interested to go to proudandblack.com. And even if you're not a business, uh, uh, a black firm, freelance or creative, if you're an ally, um, take the pledge. And, uh, and if you have a website, uh, you can download some code, which will allow you to put that uh, a badge on your website to show that you support black businesses. I saw the listing on a site called ProductHunt.com. Hmm. And I frequent that site and sites like, like that, you know, quite often. It's it's just the the geek in me. I'm an IT <laughs> guy. I I and, and I'm not ashamed anymore. But uh, <laughs> so while everybody else is on Facebook, I'm on these sites looking. And typically, Perfect. I'll see something that strikes my eye, and I and I'm like, wow, okay, you know, I can use that. So now let me do 30 minutes of deep dive research. But when I saw the proud and black entry i was immediately like whoa okay okay yeah 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 here you go okay you can be committed <laughs> as a black business or you can just you know be committed to supporting blackness okay did that did that before i knew it i, I had the seal on a yeah, couple I see of my sites and i was i 
there was a sense of pride. You know, when 9-11 hit, you know, you saw all of these flags on the back of cars. To me, there's a tragedy that is being brought further and further into the forefront. It's, it's not a day, right? It's not like Black 11, you know, it's like mm-hmm. Black 400 in 11, right? <laughs> <Yeah. Exactly. laughs> uh, but for some reason in 2020, not only is my vision clear, <laughs> no pun intended, but it, it's, it's like I am so proud and no longer silent about my blackness, about the community that I'm serving and about the things that have been done to my community. So I can proudly stand up and say, hey, you know, not only me, but every black business that I know, these are the things that we need to be about. I'm noticing a, a, an increase in the demand of um, looking for black products and services out there now, right? And, yes. and, and how do you identify those businesses and how do you find them? So when I see resources like this, I can only hope that it's a sign of a brighter future. You know, it takes a village to build the network that we need to sustain our businesses, right? So I commend you for um, putting this together. And um, and as you said, I'm sure there are other resources, but I think this allows us to sharpen our focus on the benefit of collaboration within our communities, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It really is the next step is, is mutual support, is finding ways for us to support each other. Again, because, you know, it's not easy to build something from nothing, as you know. So to the extent that you can see others and, and get help from others and, you know, the, the idea that you lift as you climb the ladder of success, you know, that's part and parcel to what we're trying to do here. Uh, and so we're, we're eager to, to continue spreading the news and having folks sign up and seeing more badges on more websites. That, that's awesome. This is a product of the 40 Pixels initiative. Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah, so 40 Pixels initiative is, uh, I, I'd almost describe it as, as phase two, which is a, a, a marketplace for black firms, freelancers, and creatives uh, to find opportunities in their community to find folks who are looking for their services. And so Marketplace is not yet launched, but we're building that marketplace to serve, you know, all the businesses, all the black firms uh, that we know that are out there. Um, And I'll I'll say this, you know, as um, one of a number of black product managers at Facebook, one of the criticisms um, that whether it's Facebook or Google, a lot of tech companies face is, you know, they're, uh, hiring numbers don't reflect the diversity that we often hear uh, um, from leadership. And often their response is, oh, well, we don't have, there isn't a strong pipeline. It's hard for us to find folks who meet the caliber that we demand and who are um, people of color. And so one of the ways that we do that is to create a marketplace like this where folks can obviously find contracts and and clients and build their portfolio so that they can go to if they choose you know if you're an independent practitioner to go to any one of these 
tech companies or, or other enterprise ventures and say, listen, I have this long, deep portfolio of work that others have paid me for that has met uh, a, a standard of quality and really undermine the argument that there's a pipeline problem. I mean, obviously, as three black product managers, we know that there are many others of us out there who just may not have had access, may not have had the connections, I think, to go to, to a Facebook or become a presidential innovation fellow. And so we realize that, that this is an opportunity for us to broaden that network and really weaken the argument that, that there aren't talented black professionals out there who can do these jobs. That conversation is happening all over the country right now and, and different businesses. And, and I, I've heard it recently. You know, my first response was, so I need a pipeline, but they don't. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's, let, let's, we're going to bring that up in another episode of the podcast. But I, I think if you're willing to look for the talent, you don't have to look um, that far. You know, right. it, I mean, you, but the, the more you look, the more excuses you find, right? I, I've had someone tell me, well, we can't hire minority interns because we found that, you know, people from smaller schools don't fare as well. Okay. What yeah. did you base that on? Yeah. That person handed me a, a magazine, not a course catalog from a, a university, but a magazine. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, now that I think about it, we're definitely going to devote a whole episode to that. But um, <laughs> it's about the credentials, right? Yeah. If I'm looking for a speechwriter, I'm not going to say to, hey, hey, you know, Mr. Commander, I think if you go through this eight-year pipeline, you might be a good fit. Right. <laughs> uh, so we have to get really good at being able to market ourselves to ourselves, right? So that we can market ourselves to others from a career perspective and take advantage of the mentor opportunities and the resources that um, are presented to us, you know, by organizations like 40 Pixels. And, and I love the logo, by the way, because that's exactly what I thought of when I was uh, <laughs> searching for the site. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, Perfect. So, I'll tell Garen. Garen will be very excited to hear that. <laughs> uh, definitely. It, it's, you know, it's it's an icon. It, it says so much in such a small amount of real estate. And I think, uh, well done. <laughs> uh, for our listeners out there, just go to 40pixels.co uh, and you'll see what, what we're talking about. Yes. Um, what's next for you? <laughs> what's next I, you, I as i think i mentioned at the beginning you know just taking it day by day we've got uh, as i think i mentioned before we have two small kids four and two obviously day job working at facebook and building proud and black.com and 40 pixels so i you know i try to focus my attention on those priorities and just trying to grow professionally and personally one of the things I realized that what are we now in four months of being in quarantine is that um, it's really hard to set objective uh, goals because every day something is changing. Uh, you're planning on getting four hours of work done and then schools are closed and the kids are home or whatever the case may be. And so um, I think as long as I directionally am working on the things that I care about, the progress should come as we go, but uh, I'm trying to be good to myself and not, not 
set two ambitious timelines and goals, but continue just working on those priorities. Well, I love it. You know, I had a recent uh, guest that said, you know, when we set plans, God laughs at us. And to have that verified by someone who served at Facebook and the White House, I, I think that person will be delighted to hear that. Well, I, I only have one challenge for you, and that is to keep reading books to that four and the two-year-old of yours and, and let them know what dreams are possible and um, keep, keep sharing the pride amongst our community. And I wish you nothing but the best. You're doing some great things. And whenever you got something new coming out, feel free to stop by Thought Session and share it with us, okay? I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Eric. Thought Thought Session. Session.